Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. We've been studying the book of Proverbs, and we've moved from this idea of just trying to define what Proverbs are to really trying to think about how the Proverbs, how they give us just really good practical wisdom in everyday life. And so Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. Proverbs 18, verse 21, stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word if you're physically able. All right, you'll find these similar words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Father, in Jesus' name, I don't know of a more appropriate subject that we struggle with more than this area of how we use our words. So, Father, in the next few minutes, Lord, would you give us just ears to be able to hear what your word would have to say to us today. Lord, use it to speak to our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys go ahead and be seated. Now, last week, as we started this series, we kind of, we began with this idea of pride and humility. And here's kind of the thing thing that we said. Uh, Humility is the soil upon which everything else builds upon. If if you do not have a humble heart, uh, no matter what we say about our words, uh, no matter what we say about friendships, no matter what we say about our attitude, none of those things really matter if you don't have a spirit of humility Because in your pridefulness, you'll sit there and say, well, I know what's best for me. I don't want to listen to what God says. I don't want to listen to what the preacher says. And so you'll just kind of stay right there where you are. And so humility has to be the soil upon which we build everything else. And today we come to what very clearly is the most often talked about subject in the book of Proverbs, and that is our speech. In fact, over... I think it's over right around 90 times that Solomon talks about this idea of our speech. And it's a very practical thing. Uh, Statistics tell us about 700 times a day, we're going to have a conversation. Ladies, you you know this, uh, you talk a lot more than us men. It's just a proven fact. Uh, Ladies, you're going to talk about 20,000 words a day. Men, we're right around that 700 mark. And so it's just what science tells us. I mean... It's just the way God's designed us. There's nothing bad about that, okay? And so, why do I say that? Well, cut your husband some slack in the in the evenings when you come home wanting to have a conversation, and he's at, at six ninety nine, and you're still at thirteen hundred. Um, and so, he's a little different there. But men, you pay attention, or you're gonna pay the, you're gonna pay the pipe, okay? Now, James, the half brother of Jesus, he compares our tongue to that of a small rudder on the back of a ship. Uh, that piece that is so small, we can guide a vessel and turn it wherever he wants that piece to go. And James goes on to say that all sorts of animals can be tamed, but no man can tame the tongue. And James says we use it to build up and we use it to tear down. We use it to bless God, we use it to curse others. That should not be so, what James said. And in Proverbs 18, I've chosen for us one of the most familiar verses in all the Proverbs, and it reminds us, it parallels the same thing that James says. Death and life are in the power of your tongue. And so here's what I want to focus on this morning. Two things, and they're, they're, uh, they're outlined in your bulletin. And I'll, uh, 
they'll, uh, I'll, I'll kind of go into detail in each one. I want to see how do our words heal, and then how do our words bring life. And so here's, if you're taking notes, here's the first thing. Our words kill physically. This was never more evident in my, in my own personal life than I, when I was in the sixth grade. My grandparents, very instrumental in my life. In fact, I'm going to talk about my grandmother in just a, a few more minutes. When I was living with my grandparents at that time, and we got a dreaded phone call late one Friday night. My granddad's brother, my uncle Wendell, uh, my great uncle Wendell, um, he was—he almost looked like Santa Claus, bless his heart, except his hair was blonde instead of white. But, I mean, just a big bear of a guy, truly good heart. Well, he owned a nightclub. And, and one night, he and one of his patrons got in an argument over the price of a beer. And here this man was, he said, if you'll meet me so-and-so, we'll settle. Well, sometimes when you've had a, a few drinks, you think you're Superman, right? And if somebody says, hey, you want to settle this, so, so they met there. And there, my Uncle Wendell and this man settled. Both of them. Tragically. You know where it started? Words. Wars have been started of a word. Families have been ripped apart because of words. You will die physically. You can cause the death of people physically because of words. People have been People take their own life because of what other people say about them. Don't ever think that by what you say, you're not impacting somebody else in your life. Words, they, they, they kill physically. They also kill secondly, psychologically. A lot of the times, have you ever noticed this? People, we, we like to give people labels. And a lot of times that would stick with people kind of like their entire life. Just, just going through some of this. You're overweight. Somebody ever told you that and then that kind of stuck with you your entire life? You're dumb. You're ugly. You'll never be anything. You're poor. You may be here this morning. You're fighting one of those labels. And the, and the truth is those labels do not define you. Jesus defines you. Because ultimately, He is for you and He loves you. In my research this week, I, one of the commentaries that I was reading, it, it asked a question. Think back to your childhood and think about what your parents said to you. And I did that. Now, you know, like again, this is where I'm talking about my grandmother. Now, my grandmother, bless her heart, okay? My grandmother was a very, very sweet but my grandmother and all of her siblings have a problem. They have no filter whatsoever. Y'all ever met somebody like that? Whatever they're thinking, they're going to let you know about it. I mean, in every, I mean, from my grandmother, Aunt Bonnie, Aunt Sheila, Aunt Wanda, Uncle Gary, they are some of the best people in this in the world. I mean, they're the type of people that you know. We talk about the proverbial, you know, they'll give you the shirt off your off of their back. That, that's who they are. They're, they're very, very good people. But if they've got something on their mind, they're just going to let you know about it. That's just who they are. 
when I read that statement in that commentary this week, think about think back to, to something that your parents said to you. I thought back I thought back to my grandma. On two different occasions, you know what I remember my grandmother saying to me? I want you to leave and never come back. My grandmother probably forgot she said that two days later. She really did. She said it in the heat of the moment. But as a child, that stuck with me. Just being honest, it stuck with me. You know what it did? It wounded me. Just being honest, it, it wounded me. Your words kill psychologically. Why do I say that? Because there are some of you in here that are, you're like me, you're parents. And we need to be very careful what we say to our children. And, and I'll be the first to admit, my wife's sitting right here. She'll, she'll, she'll testify. I messed up. Amen? She does too. If you go home and look in the mirror, you'll see somebody else. But we need to be very careful in what we say with our words because physically, psychologically, our words can kill. Finally, let me say this about this idea of killing and then we'll move on. Our words kill our community. Now, here's what I want to say about say about that. When I say community, I'm not thinking about like Bethel or Tarbor or Kanita. Our words kill the community in which we, we, we build relationships as followers. Our words can destroy the community that a church has within itself. Now, let me let me kind of prove this. Uh, how many of you would say adultery is a very, very major sin? Don't tell look so spiritual with me. I mean, come on. How many of you would really say adultery is a very, very major sin? Raise your hand. Every single one of you, right? This is a big deal. How many of you would say that gossip is a very, very major sin? Most of you don't. Some of you do, but, but most of you don't. But now let me say this. I've never seen adultery tear a church apart. Never have. I've seen gossip tear a church apart. What, what you say with your mouth can tear a church. I want you to watch this short video of how this idea of our words tore in our church posture. My father pastored the same church for 50 years, and he really, really genuinely cared about the church. And in our family, my dad taught us that it was important to love everybody, um, to not speak bad about people. It wasn't very long that I found out that within inside the walls of the church that everybody didn't think the same way. I remember this one particular time um, the church was voting on the property across the street. My dad was trying to push we should buy this property and people got a little heated about it. To sell their point I, that they shouldn't buy the property, they began to say things about my father that just weren't true. I heard them uh, say some really, really bad things about my dad. It began to spread throughout the church. Like, for instance, people who believed in him and what he was trying to do, then you'd hear slanderous things about those people, and it just spread. It was just like a cancer. I remember getting very, very angry um, at the people in my church, 
what they said about my father is like they were saying it about me. And that, that, that hurt. I didn't want to be involved in ministries. I didn't want to do anything in the church. I questioned people's faith. I questioned even my faith because I didn't like the people at my church. The slander, the words, the gossip, um, everything that was said about my father had a tremendous impact on my family. A couple of my brothers left the church and they felt like Christian people that was, would say those kinds of things were, were evil. They never returned. And not only did they never return to our church, they never returned to church. It's been many, many years since this happened at my church. And I am just getting to the point where I'm okay with talking about what happened to me and how I felt about it and to really love people. My church now, I've learned to actually love people unconditionally. My dad was a, a huge part of that. He never changed. He, he, uh, he loved the people. And I never saw my dad um, say anything mean to him. He continued to love him like Christ had said he was supposed to love him. And that's where he taught me to love people in spite of the things that they do and the things that they say. But I've always felt like Christian people need to realize that inside the walls of a church, inside the walls where you think you're the safest, that you can really damage somebody. your words, you can build the community of the church and you can destroy the community of the church. And it affects every single one of those who are around. And just like the lady said, her brothers, the, the children of the pastor, they never return to the church because of those who claim that they love Jesus tore down their father. Be very careful speak about those that you call brothers. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, at the very point. Uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, it says that rash word, words are like a sword that is thrust in. If, if I take a sword and, and I stab you with it, if I pull it out, does that alleviate the pain? Not at all. In fact, the, the pain and the discomfort is very much going to be there. And it doesn't have to be words. Like, it could be uh, something you post on Facebook. It could be a text message. It could be something you put on Twitter or Snapchat. Uh, any of those things. Okay? And, and so once you post those things, you're never getting those back. You, you send an ugly email, you, there, there's no undo on that thing. When you speak a word, there's no pulling that word back into your mouth. It's a, it's a word that is spoken in rash and just like a sword that is thrust through, 
even if you pull it back, the damage has already been done. And even when that thing heals, there's still going to be a scar there that is a continual reminder of what someone said to you. Be very careful with your words. Rash words are like a sword that is thrust in you. Now, let's shift gears for a moment. I don't like being so negative. Uh, let's think about how our words bring life. Let's stop and think about this just for a moment. God spoke words and creation came into existence. Spoke words. Jesus spoke words and people who had never walked again, who had never walked, began to walk. Jesus spoke words and people who had never seen before began to see. You believed in the words of Jesus and yourself, who once was blind, you now have sight and now you see clearly who Jesus is because you believed in the words that were written in Scripture. Words are very powerful. Words have the opportunity to bring death, but they also have the opportunity to bring life. Now, here are some defining characteristics of life-giving words. First of all, life-giving words are true words. Proverbs chapter 27, verses 5 and 6. Solomon says, Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. When you have a friend, when you have somebody that you care about, you see that they're they're falling into trouble, what you want to do is you want to speak life into them. The most loving thing that you can do for them is to tell them the truth. Maybe they're struggling with a particular sin like lying or or just this um, just this prideful spirit within their life. Proverbs says that it's better to hurt them for a moment as a true friend by speaking the truth to them than continuing to allow them to live in a deception or a deceptive point of view. So in other words, when we don't speak truth to them, we're not their friends. We're their enemies, and the kiss we give to them, what what, uh, he's referring to in Proverbs 27, it's more like the kiss of Judas than it is the kiss of Jesus. And so we must speak truth to them. Can I be honest with you? I'm a people pleaser. I've said that before. I'll say it again. I'm a people pleaser. There are times that, that I stand up and I preach God's word that there are things that the, the scriptures speak about that I would rather not talk about. Because I know without a shadow of a doubt, the moment I talk about it, that it's going to offend or it's going to hurt somebody's feelings in this very room. And so I've got a decision to make. Am I going to worry more about your feelings and how you respond to that Or am I going to stand before the Lord and say, you know what? I've got a responsibility before God, thus says the Lord. And so in those moments, what do I do? I choose to try to speak life. I would rather speak the truth with a chance that that life can come as a result than keep my mouth shut in silence and let death and destruction run. Just this past week, one of our children has a, has a problem with lying. Very sweet child. Very sweet child. But this child has a problem with not telling the truth. And in this past week, she, Savannah, you can't kind of you know, just go through the details. She told a lie, and I knew it was a lie immediately the time she said it. I had a, I had a choice right there in the moment. 
Do I want to hurt her for a moment? Or to let continue to let her tell her? And it was a it was one of the it was just one of those situations like she wasn't in trouble. I mean, it was just like an everyday casual conversation and she just lied. No reason whatsoever. It's not like, you know, she was in trouble. Now, Savannah, you tell me the truth. No, it wasn't that. I mean, it was just feel it was just casual conversation. She does lie. As a parent, I don't want to make my children cry. I don't enjoy making my children cry. It's not a fun experience. But I would rather deal with those lies now than have to deal with them in some And I pray I don't have to. You have to deal with them when they're young. I didn't want to do that. I, she's on spring break. But you have to deal with things before they get out of hand. If we're going to speak life, we've got to speak truth to others. But now here's the second thing. We have to speak graceful words. Proverbs chapter 15, it says that a, a gentle, now that word gentle in Proverbs 15 verse 4, gentle it literally speaks of a healing tongue. A, a gentle or a healing tongue, it's a tree of life. It speaks of restoration. Can I be honest with you? For some of you, you have no problem speaking truth. I mean, it's just you have no problem whatsoever. If you see somebody and, and, and they've done something wrong, man, you'll go and you'll confront them just like that. But you're not graceful. There comes a time that you you might have the opportunity to speak truth, but you need to keep your mouth shut because you can't do it seasoned with grace. The whole point of speaking truth into somebody else's life is not so that you can go and show them that they did something wrong, but the goal is to try to restore them to get back on a right track. And therefore, if you can't speak truth to someone that is seasoned with grace, then you'd better off be better off not to If it's truth, remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, or John said of Jesus, that he was a man that was full of both grace and truth. And so if you're not careful, you will say some things that are, are true, but the effect of your words will still be brokenness instead of healing towards that person. And so he, two rules. Let me just give you two rules. If you want to speak both grace and truth, here's two things that you can do. Number one, and this is for men and women. This is for people who go to Alton's and Lorraine. Avoid gossip. You knew it was going to come at some point, right? Don't speak it. Don't listen to it. Not just not talking about it. Just don't even go there. Almost always, when you're speaking negatively about someone, you shouldn't be. If you have to speak in a negative way about someone, don't talk about them. Talk to them. Number two, focus on relationships. Have you ever met someone that the only time they talk to you is when they told you something that you were doing was wrong? You ever met people like that? They, I mean, they're just most negative people in the world. Uh, man, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong. Sometimes you have no relational capital to go and correct somebody else because you've not focused on building the relationship with that person. Does that make sense? You, you've got to invest in somebody's life. Sometimes it means that you have to go and encourage someone and speak truth Life, like encouraging words into their life. Hey, I really appreciate this. You, you did a good job in this situation. Hey, it's good to see you this morning. You're speaking life into their into their life. You're speaking life into who they are. 
And when you do that, now you've got some relational capital that you can go and when you see them messing up because you've built a relationship with them, now if you see something's wrong, you can speak life into them by telling them the truth. You know, this happens in ministry all the time. It really does. Sometimes the only time that people talk to to the preacher is when they have something they can do. That's on. Great to God. I didn't like that. It's the only time you ever say anything. Sometimes it helps when you you see them that way. And encourage Actually, most of you never ever, ever do that. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about other persons. Okay? It happens in your marriage. You do five things right for your spouse, and your spouse focuses on the one thing you did wrong. Or, or you do that. Your spouse does five things good for you, and you only think about the, the one thing they did wrong. Sometimes you, you have to encourage each other and things that you have done correctly. Happens with your kids. You only talk about their mistakes instead of everything they've done right. Hey kids, you do it with your parents. Hey kids, you do it with your parents. I, I'm trying to help you guys out. You know what I'm okay? Daddy, I want so and so. Mom, I want so and so. Son, you got a whole room full of so-and-sos. But I don't have that so-and-so. Well, focus on the things you do have instead of the things you don't have. Sometimes kids give your parents a little credit for the things they do have, the things you do have instead of the things you don't have. Thank you. I'm glad some parent would say amen. You see, But you see how that works? You have to balance the negative with the positive. In all of these situations, there is a ton of room for focusing on all those things that you have to do instead of the negative. If you focus on the good consistently, when it comes time to deal with the negative, there's a much higher chance that it would be received with grace. Number three, five. If you want to give life-giving words, speak encouragement. This is so good. Proverbs 10, verse 11 says that the mouth of a righteous is a fountain of life. And one of the ways our words bring life is by the spiritual gift of encouragement. So what I mean by that is trying to get people to see life from the perspective of God instead of the perspective of their circumstances. That's hard. Just this past week, uh, Savannah and I, we were in um, that restaurant, Locusel, and we were putting up um, flyers for the movie night, next Friday night. And we're sitting there, and we're talking with Angela, and, and in walks Jessica. She's in tears. I mean, just in tears. And she had just found out, and you've seen this on Facebook, and so I'm not saying anything that, that was given in confidential. She had just found out that the owners of her house were making her and her husband move out because they're going to sell the house. And she said, I just don't know where I'm going to go. Amen. So we listened to her, and we spoke with her, and then we prayed for her. And I did my very best. Even in my prayer, to try to get her to think about that she serves a good, good father, and if he is shutting this door, then there's something else that's getting ready to open up very, very soon, okay? And so just trying to get her to to trust that, you know, God's got a plan. He's got a purpose in in the midst of all this. 
Within 24 hours, within 24 hours, she found a house that is very similar in size. Half of what she's paying now. Half. God's in control, guys. He's in control. And so when we speak encouraging words, what we're trying to do is, is hey, I want you to, to move from your perspective because I know it's bleak. I know it's dark. I know you don't see a way out. But our God not only sees what's happening right now, he sees the future. And he's got a way that he's going to work things out for his glory. In the book of Numbers, remember that Moses sends the spies out? Ten of them come back and say what? We can't do it. Those guys, we're like grasshoppers to those guys. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a land. It's good land. But they're, much, they're so much bigger. Did you know they were telling the truth? They really were. Those guys were, they, they were much bigger than them. But yet God called their report evil. You know why? Because they looked at it from their perspective instead of God's perspective. And there were two men, Joshua and Caleb, that said, that's right, they're bigger, but Jehovah's on our side. And if Jehovah's on our side, then we can go and we can take them down. Encouraging one. Trying to get people to see things from God's perspective. Martin Luther, the great theologian back in the 1500s, it said the most amazing thing about God was the way he redefined reality with words. God looked into chaos and he spoke the hopeful words of creation. He looked into the chaos of our sin and declared us righteous in Christ. By speaking those words, uh, compelled with our belief in them, he reconstituted our reality. And so as followers of Jesus, we want to help people see things from God's perspective, not just their own. Now listen to this. And so when someone says that they are a failure and that you'll never amount to anything, here's what I want to say. That's not true. You have been chosen in Christ and he wants you to he wants to make you more than a conqueror in Christ. And so when someone comes up to you and says, you know what, I, I feel like no one cares about me. I feel like no one loves me. Here's what we want to say. That's not true. God loved you so much that he went to the greatest length possible to show you just how much he loved you when he gave his only son for you. And so then you people come up, uh, preacher, I feel like I've got no hope. I feel like that I'm just smothering within everything I'm going through. I want to come along this side and say that what is impossible with man is possible with, the, with God. And in Christ, there is a great hope. And so when people say you've got no purpose or no plan for your life, that you just sort of exist, I want you to know that you have been created in Christ Jesus for good works and that there is a great plan for your life. And so as believers in Christ, we want to continually encourage people that there is a God in heaven that you may not see what's going on right now, but look past your perspective and see that there is a perspective from heaven and that everything's going to be okay. So how do we speak words? Jesus says this, and it is now the abundance of your heart that you speak life. It's not the abundance of your heart that you speak. What does that mean? That means you'll never speak life if you never have a heart change. You can, you can, you can try to make a decision today and say, you know what, I'm going to change my attitude, I'm going to change my speech, I'm going to be a man who doesn't speak death, I'm going to be a man who speaks life. You'll never do it if you never have a heart change. How do I have a heart change? You come to Jesus. You, you know, at the, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, not at the beginning of his life, at the beginning of his ministry. John the Baptist baptized. Multiple of the gospel accounts 
record that when, when Jesus was baptized, that the heavens opened up. And the voice of God the Father spoke. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. At the end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus was dying on the cross. He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Total, total isolation. You see, in Jesus' death, God the Father shut up heaven from him. No communication. So that when you could come, <laughs> so that when you come to the Father through Christ, he could say, This is God. This is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. And you see, until you get your heart right, you understand that Jesus went through silence so that you could hear my beloved son, hear him. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Until you get that part of your heart filled, until you get that part of your heart right, never. It's out of the abundance of the heart Life. Your words. Every single one. I think Josh was the youngest Luke Finn's the youngest one. All the way up to the oldest. Your words either speak life or death. You want to speak life? Your heart settled. I mean, just your head bowed, your eyes closed. You're not looking. Is your heart settled? Have you been to this place of Calvary where you understand that Jesus received trial, silent treatment, so that you could ultimately hear the voice of God? If not, we're going to stand. We're going to stand in just a moment. Here's what I want to ask you to do: just in, in humility. And yet boldly, as you come during the invitation, just, just get up and walk and just say, Pastor, today I want my heart set. I want to give Jesus everything. I, I've, I've always believed in Him, but Lord, today He's just pricking my heart. He's prodding my heart. Today I want to surrender my life to Him. As you come. Maybe just right there with your head bowed and your eyes closed. The Spirit of God is just, He's just burdening your heart because you know that you've been speaking words of death. You know that you've been speaking words that have been destructive and detrimental to others that are around you. Today, the Spirit is just convicting you of that. And when we stand and sing, I'm just going to ask you to humbly just to to do business with God. Maybe at the altar, maybe in your seat. But you repent of that. You have to. 
settle your heart at the cross. Choose today to be a man or a woman who speaks life. Father, today, in Jesus' name, Lord, control our time. Lord, bind if you seek to be detrimental and destructive. Lord, elusive as we speak life. your way.